Hey, before the service, I had the opportunity to go around and meet some of our guests today. I wish I could have met all of you. But I want to remind all of our guests that there is a card in the rack in front of you, the seat in front of you, and we'd like for you to fill this out and place it in the, the offering boxes as you leave today. And I want to remind you that at the end of the service, you can not only place these in the offering box, but you can place your offering in the offering box. Amen? So thank you for being here today. What a, what a day it is to be with the, these young champions that are going out into the world. And, and I, I, I prayed about what I should preach today, and the Lord led me to a text that I preached as a trial sermon on April the 27th, 1986 at Mullen Station Baptist Church. The story of the rich young ruler. What a fascinating journey we've been on through Mark's fast-moving, hard-hitting gospel. We're in the last section of this amazing gospel, and we're in the section now where Jesus has his eyes set on Jerusalem. Jesus, in chapter 10, verse 45, made this statement, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And now he is set on getting to Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him there. He knows that he'll be crucified. He knows that he'll be resurrected from the dead. He knows that he will ascend back to heaven. He knows that he will be at the right hand of the Father soon. And he knows that one day, one glorious day is going to come again. And one day he's going to consummate his kingdom. And I'll tell you, it's going to be a glorious day when he does just that. And so here he is, headed to Jerusalem. His focus now is on getting the disciples ready for his departure. But don't think for a moment that he was not concerned about unsaved people whose lives were a terrible mess. He was. In fact, the story we're going to look at today gives evidence of that fact. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you might ask, well, who was this man? Well, Matthew and Mark and Luke Remind us who he is. He's a very rich young man. Hey, young people, he's got everything you could dream, think, or imagine. He's also a young man. He's not a, a middle-aged man or an old man. He's a young man. Maybe he was in his early 20s. And we also know that he was a ruler. He was the rich young ruler well, what does that mean, you say? Well, it means that he was most likely a, a ruler in a local synagogue. He was a very religious man. Now, 
He had the basic DNA of a spiritual person. However, deep in his heart of hearts, he knew that something was missing. So he made a beeline to Jesus when he got the chance. Maybe he heard Jesus teaching at some point. And he knew when he heard Jesus teach that he had never in his life heard anybody teach like that in the synagogue. Maybe he saw some of Jesus' miracles or, or maybe heard reports about them. And Jesus' uh, popularity was very strong among the, the normal, ordinary people of the day. And, and longing to find spiritual fulfillment, he did what normally no one his age or of his prominence would ever do. He ran up to Jesus. Now, Middle Eastern men of status did not run because it was considered undignified, even shameful. He also knelt before Jesus. He assumed the posture of a worshiper before this one whom the religious leaders had deemed worthy of death. And he bowed before him. And he addressed Jesus respectfully as good teacher. And he asked Jesus a very important question. It's a question that many people are asking in our world today. It's a question that whether you're young or old, it's a question that at some point you must ask yourself, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, this young man knew that at some point he was going to die. He knew that at some point he would stand before a holy and righteous God in judgment. And there was something inside him that just told him he was not ready for that moment. So he came to the right person asking the right question. What can I do to inherit eternal life? However, consistent with the legalistic system of self-righteousness that he had championed all of his life, he was seeking the ultimate good work he could do that would give him the confidence he longed for. He was looking for that silver bullet. He was looking for that one thing that he could do that would ensure that he would go to heaven when he died, that he would be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, obviously, his definition of eternal life and Jesus' definition uh, were at odds with each other. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, Jesus said eternal life is a relationship with the living creator God. It is active. It is persistent. It is consistent. It is knowing God. It is a relationship with the God of heaven. Now, what happened next must have stunned the rich young ruler. I mean, listen, let's face it. Nobody had ever pushed back on him spiritually. But look what Jesus said next. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? It's interesting how Jesus always seemed to answer a question with a question. 
Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He called Jesus good teacher. Listen, even Jewish rabbis did not allow the word good to be applied to them. Only God was intrinsically good. In Psalm 34, 8, the psalmist wrote, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. He's good all the time, right? That's who he is. That's who he is intrinsically, internally. How blessed is a man who takes refuge in him, the psalmist said. Jesus could not be good in the truest sense of the word if he were not God. Did the young man understand who he really was? Did the young man understand the implications of what he had said to Jesus, uh, the reference he had given to Jesus, good teacher? The identity of Jesus was a major concern of Mark's gospel. Who was he? Now we know in Mark chapter 8 that Jesus asked the disciples, who, who do men say that I am? And they gave several answers. And then he, he turned to his disciples and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. And another gospel said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus was the Son of God, the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. Knowing Jesus' identity was vital for the Apostle Peter. Knowing Jesus' uh, identity was vital for the disciples. Knowing Jesus' identity was vital for the rich young ruler. And can I say this? Knowing Jesus' identity is vital for every young person and every person within the sound of my voice. I don't care what your age is. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you? Jesus pressed him even more. Look at verse 19. You know the commandments. And he did. He was a, one of the rulers, one of the leaders in the synagogue. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. It's apparent that the young man didn't really know who Jesus was. In fact, he didn't even know who he was. So Jesus probed him with the Ten Commandments. You say, well, what's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to show us that we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. That's the purpose of the Jewish law. So Jesus probed him with the Ten Commandments. Now, now, believe me, he knew them, and he knew he was obligated to keep them. And Jesus urged him, examine yourself by the law. Look at verse 20. And the rich young ruler said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Wow. He was pretty confident in himself, wasn't he? I've kept all of these things from my bar mitzvah to this very point. But see, he didn't understand that the law 
And keeping the law is something that it is internal, not only external. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, corrected the Jewish misunderstanding of the law. He said, you've heard it said that we should not commit murder. But Jesus said, but I say to you, if you're even angry with someone in your heart, you will go to hell. Wow. Jesus said, you have heard that you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look at a woman and lust for her in your heart, you have committed adultery in your heart, and you are guilty before God. Listen, if, if we examined ourselves by the Ten Commandments this morning, I, I'm, I'm not sure that anybody in the well, I know for a fact, nobody in this room could make the claim that this young man made that he has kept the commandments since his youth. Have you ever in your life told a lie? Have you ever in your life taken anything, a paperclip, anything that did not belong to you without asking? Have you ever in your life lusted for someone? Have you ever coveted what someone had that you didn't have? Listen, the Bible says in James 2.10, if we break one of the laws, we've broken the whole Ten Commandments and the Jewish law. And we stand today, young or old, male or female, we stand today guilty before God. There's not a one of us who can say that we're batting a thousand. Not a one of us. But this man said, I've kept these from my youth up. He was convinced that he was good. Unfortunately, most people in the world today believe that one day God will add up all of our good works and all of our bad works, and if our good works outweigh our bad works, we will be accepted into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we will go to heaven when we die. That, my friend, is a lie from the pit of hell. Nobody can go to heaven. Nobody can be a part of the kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by what they do. It's impossible. Listen, you can live a good, clean life. You can be honest. You can provide for your family. You can treat others with respect. You can be morally pure. You can be a model student. You can go to church. Hear me now. You will never be good enough to inherit the kingdom of heaven and be a part of Jesus' eternal kingdom. Never will you be good enough. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul wrote, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. He was looking for that big work that would tip the scales and give him the confidence that one day he'd stand before Jesus and Jesus would say, welcome into the kingdom. 
But the Bible says no one will go to heaven. No one will be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ because of what they do. Maybe the young man in our story thought that Jesus would affirm him in his boisterous claim to be good, to have kept all of the commandments since his youth. But Jesus cared for his soul too much to let him believe something that simply was not true. Jesus did what no one had ever done with this rich young ruler. He pointed out his failure, and he told him the truth. Look at verse 21. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. He loved him. And he said, one thing you lack. In all likelihood, no one had ever told him that he lacked anything. One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. The rich young ruler wanted to know what he could do to inherit eternal eternal life. And Jesus accurately diagnosed his problem and offered the answer to his question. However, this was not the answer that the rich young ruler was looking for. Truth be known, he had made a God out of his money and his possessions. The first commandment states that God will not tolerate idols of any kind. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The first commandment. And Jesus focused on this issue of materialism. And he said, this stuff's got to go. You've got to get rid of this God. Now, now let, let, me, let me say this. Jesus will not make the gospel acceptable for anybody. For a rich young ruler, for a poor person, Jesus will never make the gospel acceptable. But I'll tell you what he do, will do. He'll make it available to every man, woman, boy, and girl on this planet. And that gospel is available to you. Young people, listen. Eternal life, you can have it. If you don't have it, you can have it. Jesus has made it available to you through the gospel. So Jesus focused on this issue of materialism when he said in Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21 do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where you're tr- listen this is what Jesus said for where your treasure is There, your heart will be also. Your heart follows your treasure. Then, verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You say, Pastor, does that mean if if I'm going to be saved, if I'm going to be a part of the kingdom, does that mean I've got to liquidate everything I own, everything I have, everything in my retirement account, everything in my checking account, everything in my savings account? Must I liquidate it and give it to the poor if I ever hope to go to heaven? No. 
Do you realize Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus, who was a very rich man, to liquidate everything he had and give it to the poor, did he? Jesus uh, didn't ask Matthew, the tax collector, who was probably very wealthy, to liquidate everything he had and and give it to the poor, did he? Jesus tells this young man to give everything away. Why? Because that stuff was his God. It was his God. It was an idol that he had created in his own heart. Now notice the last part of the verse. Jesus basically told him to admit that he was a sinner in no uncertain terms and to destroy the idol he had erected in his heart and then to what? Follow him. Follow Jesus. Now, Jesus is not saying, if you're going to be a part of his kingdom, if you're going to inherit eternal life, you've got to give everything away. It's not what he's saying. Ladies and gentlemen, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Not by what we do or what we don't do. I want you to see the, the heartbreaking results in this young man's life. Here, here Jesus is saying, look, I, I love you, man. I love you. I want what's best for you. I want to give you something that your money will never be able to buy. I want to give you something that no one can ever provide for you but me. I want to give you eternal life. I want to give you confidence and hope. I want to give you assurance that one day you will be with me in heaven. And you know what the young man did? Look at verse 22. But at these words, he was saddened. And he went away grieving. The word grieving means to... He he walked away in inner turmoil. For he was one who owned much property. As a highly respected religious leader, he viewed his prosperity and his exalted position in the synagogue as evidence that he was good. And that the hand of God's blessing was upon him. It's almost like even in Judaism, they had a a form of prosperity teaching. If you're prosperous, God's for you. If you're prosperous, God's blessing you. That was a lie then. By the way, that's a lie today. At the crossroads of his eternal destiny, the rich young ruler decided that he wanted salvation and eternal life on his terms, not the terms of Jesus. So he turned his back on Jesus. And instead of following him, he walked away saddened and with inner turmoil in his heart. This encounter calls to mind Jesus' challenge in Mark chapter 8 that sort of hovers over this entire story. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 37, Jesus 
summoned the crowd and his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What a tragedy. Here's a young man with a great future in front of him. He had everything going for him. But he lost his soul. Now, this is not a parable. This is not a fictitious character. This is a real young man. A young man of prominence and power and position. But he loved his money more than he loved the master. And he said, sorry, Jesus, I'm not buying it. And he walked away. And Jesus took this opportunity and turned it into a wonderful teaching moment. In Mark 10, 23, the Bible says, And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why would Jesus make a statement like that? Why is wealth such a danger to one's spiritual life. Well, wealth gives people a false sense of security. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Wealth often leads to a love for the world. 1 John 2, 15 16, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And wealth can lead to a high level of selfishness. So Jesus said, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at these words. You know why they were amazed? Because they were still tied to that legalistic system of Judaism. They were still tied to that notion, well, if a person had plenty of money, if a person had a position of prominence, then it was a sure sign that the hand of God's blessing was on them, and they were good. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't tone down his statement. In fact, he repeated it and even broadened it to include everyone, not just the rich. And then he gave a, a, an amazing illustration to make his point. In verse 25, Jesus said, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> 
I want you to imagine I have a needle up here. And you can't see that little hole in that needle. Be honest with you, I couldn't either. And I'm right here. And Jesus said, look, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, we try to tone that down a little bit. We try to find ways to get around that. But, but listen, Jesus' point is obvious here, right? I want you to imagine a, a camel. A, big old, a camel, in fact, was the largest animal in Palestine. And Jesus painted a picture in their eyes. Imagine taking a camel and trying to stuff him, humps and all, through the eye of a needle. And, and you know what it means. It, it's impossible. It's impossible. Jesus was not trying to insinuate that it's difficult for a rich man to go to heaven. Jesus insinuated that it's impossible for a rich man to go to heaven. And you say, whoa. To be honest with you, probably everybody in this room is rich compared with the rest of the world. And Jesus said, it's impossible. For a rich man to be saved, to go to the enter the kingdom of, of God. Verse 26, they were even more astonished. You know, it's amazing. As you read the gospel of Mark, these guys were in a constant state of astonishment. Right? Hey, be, to be honest with you, you and I would be too if we were walking with Jesus, Right? I mean, if we saw Jesus walking on water, I think we would be astonished. If we heard Jesus teach these marvelous truths that Jesus taught, I think we would be absolutely stunned and amazed at what he was teaching. And they said, then who can be saved? I mean, if this rich young ruler can't be saved, they're saying, well, who can be saved? Look at verse 27. Looking at them, Jesus said, with people, it is impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. Listen, here's the point. No one can save themselves by being good. No one can save themselves by being religious. No one can save themselves by doing a bunch of good works. No one can save themselves by giving to the poor. No one can save themselves by living according to a, 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 a particular religious philosophy. There is only one way to be saved, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He, he can save anybody rich or poor, black or white, male or female. He can save anybody who will repent of their sin and place their faith in him as Lord and Savior. I tell you what, he will not dumb down the gospel, but he will make it available to every single person. So here's the truth I want you to lock into 
this morning. True life begins with Jesus. Period. This young man was looking for something to fill the void in his life. He had everything the world could provide, but there was an emptiness in his heart. There was a void in his heart, and he came to Jesus. And I tell you, based upon the authority of the Word of God, and my own personal testimony in my own life, true life begins with Jesus. Now listen. And it never ends. It never ends. Oh, what a wonderful truth that is. And that's the message that Jesus pounded into the minds of his disciples over and over again. So as we come to the end of the message today, I want to ask you two questions. I want to ask every senior, every young person, every middle-aged person, every senior adult, every child within the sound of my voice, whether you're in this room, whether you're in the fellowship hall, whether you're watching live stream, whether you're watching our TV ministry, I'm going to ask you two questions. Question number one, do you know Jesus? I didn't ask you if you know about him. A lot of people know about him. I'm asking you, do you know him? I'm asking you to look deep in your heart and see if you really truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you really truly believe that Jesus is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah? Do you really truly believe that he is the one and only Savior for the entire human race? Do you believe that he is the king of an eternal kingdom that will last forever? Do you believe that he has the right to determine who's in his kingdom and who's out of his kingdom? Do you know him? Oh, I pray you know him. How I pray you know him. Because if you don't know him, you can't ever be saved. You can't ever inherit eternal life. You've got to know him before you take the next step. Second question. If you know him, will you follow him? Will you follow him? To follow him, you must be willing to die to yourself, and you must put the cross to anything or anyone who would dare usurp Jesus' place in your life. You must trust Jesus with your whole heart. You must believe that he died on the cross for your sin. He was raised from the dead for your justification, and you must trust him alone to save you and forgive you. And give you this kind of true life that will last forever. This is your moment of truth. It's your moment of truth. I pray. That no one. Within the sound of my voice. Will walk away from Jesus today saddened. And grieving in their heart. Oh, I pray that you will receive Jesus 
as your Savior and Lord. And if you're already saved, that you would follow him through thick and thin until he comes or you die. Would you bow your heads, please? Heavenly Father, I pray for a powerful movement of the Spirit of God. And I pray that men, women, boys, and girls who are at the crossroads of their eternal destiny, I pray they would know you, Lord Jesus. And I pray they would follow you. I pray that not one single person would walk away from you today saddened and grieving in their heart. Oh, Lord, by the power of the Spirit of God, draw people to yourself and save them. In Jesus' name, amen. Our, our team is coming, our worship team, our staff is coming. Now, here's what I want you to do. The staff is here to minister to you. If you want to know more about Jesus, just come and talk to a staff member. If you want to decide today that, that you want to follow Jesus, that you want to trust him as your Savior and Lord, come to a staff member. If you, as a born-again believer, on the road of discipleship, following Jesus, if, you're, if you've hit a rough spot, if, if it's really tough for you right now, you come to this altar and bow before your king and pray that he would help you to walk with him, to follow him through thick and thin. If you want to talk to our staff about becoming a member of the church, you come and talk to them. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so glad that God has given us this opportunity today to settle once and for all our eternal destiny. Would you stand? Let's worship and you come as the Lord leads you.